We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Striking Gold. Your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is sponsored by betonline.ag. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. And joining me tonight is my co-host, former NFL defensive back, Eric Crocker. What's going on, man? Oh, man, just uh, hanging out, man. Just ready to talk some some draft. Uh, it was, uh, you know, an exciting past couple of days. So, yeah, I know we'll have a lot to talk about. And that's not it. It's not just Eric Crocker tonight. We also have, just like uh, on uh, on on Thursday after the first round, we've got Blue Wire CEO, Commander in Chief. I know he likes the titles. Kevin Jones is oh, back man. with us, and again, what's up, man? The, the flattery from Rob, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to have a great discussion tonight. Forty ers fans are going to enjoy our perspectives. There's the the team changed. There's a new left tackle. There's a running back traded, Marquise Goodwin gone. There's a lot to walk through in addition to the draft picks they made. Yeah, and as they uh, as they say, the the uh, the gang's all here. 
this is uh, 100% of, of striking gold. And I'm not even sure. Have we ever done a podcast where it was all three of us at the same time? <clears throat> this feels okay. like a first. And yeah, that's a little bit of a crime. I mean, when when Joe Staley retires, it, you you everyone comes and pays their respects. We, we right, right, we're, right. We're, we're joining together to honor his career and talk about all the ramifications coming from this. Hey, did right, George yeah. Kittle? Did you guys watch that video? I'm not gonna lie, like I ain't cried, but and I'm real, like I, I I'm not even like an emotional person. But George Kittle getting choked up, that almost that almost got Bro, me. I was right there. I that was almost right got there. Me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a big crier either, but that was like if someone, while I was watching that video, if someone would have asked me to speak, I don't know how I would have sounded. Like I'm, I was just watching it and, you know, it's, my throat dried up and all that stuff. And, and yeah, that was a pretty heartfelt message. And I'm sure. Um, but yeah, if, if you haven't put um, uh, two and two together by now, Joe Staley, um, I think he's a 13 year veteran, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, yeah. um, just retired from the 49ers, announced it. Um, on day three of the draft. Um, so that was, I mean, that's obviously the marquee announcement. I mean, no matter all the draft picks, the first round picks, the, you know, everything we could say, there's nothing as impactful as somebody like Joe Staley retiring. So that's obviously, you know, that, that's what we're going to give you our reactions to first, because like you said, there's just nothing bigger than that. And, uh, you know, it sucks. It sucks. Cause that's, it's just like, when you think of players that represent the 49ers and like, like just the first thoughts or images that pop in your head, when you think about the 49ers, Joe Staley's going to be up there with all of them, just because, I mean, he had his hand in so many amazing plays and he was just such a amazing personality. Now the hard part is I'm going to be trying to talk about Joe Staley, like, but it's going to sound like I'm talking about him like he died, but, but he didn't obviously, you know, but it's just, you got to find a way to talk about him. Yeah. He's just such a football is such an emotional sport. And like, even his, he, he penned a really thoughtful letter thanking all the the fans. I mean, he was with the Jim Harbaugh era and the Kyle Shanahan era. I obviously started covering the 49ers on the latter half of his career, but I I'll remember him as a football player, just being the pillar of the organization on the field and in the locker room with, he was able to be a goofball. He was able to be himself. I think he helped Kyle Shanahan really implement this culture where, you know, football is fun. It, it is brainiac, but it is fun. And being yourself was allowed with Kyle Shanahan and Joe Staley allowed him, he, you know, he was himself and that allowed others to be themselves too. And I think his spirit will really be missed. Um, you know, his body broke down and he was very clear about that. He did not want to be out there where he wasn't able to be a high quality left tackle. I thought guys, the most interesting part about this, I want Croc to give, you know, honor his career too. But the most interesting part is the 49ers found this out a couple days before the draft. They knew picking Thursday, they needed a left tackle. They were going to bank on getting this Trent Williams deal done or yeah. Like they, that was the crazy part to me. They could have really messed this up and Broomskill would have maybe had to play left tackle. There would have been some uncertainty there, but um, the dominoes fell correctly. The 49ers again wowed me, but kudos to Joe Staley. Get his name on the ring of fame. I, he'll be potentially in Canton one day. Like really his career is like, I think on the fringe, he will be discussed. And I think like John Lynch, you know, maybe he, he could say he won't be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but maybe one day he will get in there. He had that great of a career. Yeah, no, nah, he, he he definitely had a great career and I enjoyed watching him. And, you know, he was a staple in, you know, just in the franchise for a long time, right? Um, 
Grant Cohn, he's been asking, you know, who are the 49ers foundational pieces? And he's been the foundational um, left tackle for the 49ers since the very beginning. Now, Hall of Fame, yeah, like you said, I think he's going to be one of those fringe guys because while he was really good throughout his entire career, I don't think he was ever the best tackle in the league. Um, so obviously, you know, a multi-pro bowler, but I mean, just think about who's replacing him, right? We got Trent Williams who's replacing him. And Trent, he went to seven straight Pro Bowls. You know, like that's like a super dominance, right? I don't know if Joe Staley ever had like that type of run in his career, but obviously for the 49ers, man, really good. And he he stuck with the 49ers um, through the good, through the bad, and through the good again. Um, and, you know, I think the thing that hurts the most is that they weren't able to, you know, let him ride off in the sunset with a Super Bowl victory. But, um, you know, just congrats on him on the stellar career and um, just the, the impact that he not only left on the game, but on all the players that, you know, he um, played with. A lot of guys poured out, you know, a lot of emotions to him. So that, that was really cool. It's, well, a, it's, it's so hard to uh, it's so hard to to spend your entire career at one team these days. Like the fact that he was able to consistently play at such a high level that the team, you know, multiple regimes never had any reason to part with him, and he established himself as such as such a, a you know a dominant leader and a, a, a such an influence in the locker room. Like he never, it's tough to do that. I mean, you look at guys like you know, uh, like Navarro Bowman, who was an amazing player, but even him, you know, it was, it was only really one year, but even him parted ways and played for another team before he was done. And you're, and it's just, it's crazy to think of somebody spending 13 years with one team when you just see how things work out in the league nowadays and how, how rare it is that a guy just stays with one team his whole career. And one of the cool things I thought he said in his letter. Now, if you haven't read it, you have to get on his Twitter and read it. It's awesome. It's super well-written. But one of the things that stood out to me, um, just because Staley's always been such a no-nonsense guy, like he he will always say exactly what he's feeling. He kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. You could tell if he had a bad day at, at a practice. He was, you, know, you could just tell. And one of the things he said in his letter, and I'm going to uh, read it right now, um, says, while I wish we had won at least one of the Super Bowls I was fortunate enough to play in, this franchise has never been in better hands and had more promise. Stay committed and loud. The players hear you. Like, and that was that paragraph was penned towards the fans. But I think that you know him saying that speaks a lot towards you know what John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are, Kyle Shanahan are doing and what they've established for somebody like that that that's been through so many different coaching changes and so many different uh, you know regimes. I mean, that's a pretty impressive thing to say. And maybe I'm reading in it too, into it too much. But for a guy like that, I mean, his parting words to say, you know, the team has never been in better hands. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's a pretty impressive thing to say. It makes it easier for him to walk away too because he, he feels like he's a huge part of this organization, which he has been. Um, yeah. I think – the 49ers would have been in a very tough spot had they not gotten Trent Williams. But, you know, it's it's hard to not argue. As long as Trent Williams is healthy here, it feels like an upgrade at left tackle. Uh, Trent's obviously 31 years old. He hasn't played a full 16 games since 2013. He's battled health problems. Uh, the Redskins fiasco that went on the last couple of years with Dan Snyder, and the medical staff and holding out. I mean, he's he's coming here with a little bit of baggage. That being said, Kyle can relate to the Dan Snyder beef and drama. Uh, I, I think getting him for a fifth and then a third, as Rob, you've tweeted about it too. All of a sudden, all right, say the 49ers can't work out a long-term extension with Trent Williams. 
they've essentially rented him for one year for a fifth round pick because they'll get the third back on a compensation pick. So another wheeling and dealing from this GM, uh, if you want to give credit to John Lynch, Parag, Kyle, the, the whole front office working in cohesion to replace Joe Staley this swiftly and not have to give up a first or a second round pick for Trent Williams. It, it shows this front office knows what they're doing. Yeah, that's that's the most impressive part to me is the fact that there's not there's not really a way in which the trade for Trent Williams doesn't work out. You know, like I think the way that everything went down, I think the vast majority of 49ers fans are hoping that the team is able to get a deal done. Obviously, you want to have somebody in there long term, but I think the 49ers are smart in saying, you know, we're not going to rush into the deal. Obviously, Trent Williams is excited to be given a fresh start and he's not sitting there or at least at right now, it doesn't seem like he's in any way saying, okay, I'm not going to play this season because you guys aren't giving me the extension I was going for. And they can wait it out and see how his performance is, see how his health works out. And if, I mean, they can do an extension at any point. It doesn't have to wait until the end of the year. You know, if they feel like they've got what they, what they were hoping for, then they could do that. But let's, like you said, if they don't, then He's very, very likely to sign a valuable contract with another team that would probably net the 49ers a third-round comp pick, and all of a sudden you've given up a fifth-round pick. And one of the next things we're going to talk about is the fact that the 49ers traded running back Matt Breida for a fifth-round pick. So, I mean, that and that's the other pick that they gave up for Trent Williams. So, I mean, if you're really trying to do some football draft pick math, the 49ers essentially traded Matt Breida for, for Trent Williams, sort of. So it's, it, you know... <laughs> There's really like, which is, which is an undrafted free agent running back for like an which almost, is the you know, chess to checkers thing. Like Kyle does chess and to checkers on the field, but it really feels like this front office, uh, granted Trent Williams has got to pan out, but this is a very valuable asset. Probably the, one of the better offensive linemen to switch teams in the last couple seasons, as long as he's healthy, there is a star next to all of this. As long as he's healthy, he's played with a club on his hand. He's played like with both of his ankles wrapped heavily. This dude has been through a ton. I think he has a couple years left. Um, but it could be a situation where the, where the 49ers franchise tag him the year after. I, I don't see him being the left tackle for this team for the next three to four years. This feels like a one, two, and maybe three-year scenario. Uh, he's just His body, like Joe Staley's, has been through a ton. Trent Williams is going to be a borderline Hall of Fame player too, even though he's played through some kind of crappy Redskins teams. He's been there with Kirk Cousins and RG3. He's hungry to win. He truly is. He's he's going to bring a different attitude, Croc, to the locker room. I've covered him before. He, he's not the goofball that Joe Staley is. He's a lot more serious. He will call out teammates through the media. He's he, and uh, you know he, he's just an interesting personality to add to the locker room. Truly a leader. Uh, I mean, him as a player, Croc, you want to break him down for the striking gold listeners? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's most famous, or at least between the 49er fans and maybe even like Seahawks <laughs> fans for like wishing <laughs> Richard Sherman. Um, but just, you know, anything that you, you know, you've heard in the last couple of days, people talk about Trent Williams, man, it's just been like how athletic he is. Um, you know, I follow Will Blackman. And, you know, Will Blackman was a former Redskin, and he talked about, you know, how tremendous of an athlete he was. Um, you had Vernon Davis come out, and Vernon Davis said, you know, that's the best offensive lineman that he's ever played with. And that's high praise, right? Because, you know, we he, he also played with Joe Staley for a bunch of years. So I think with the 49ers getting, man, they're just giving the, getting a dominant left tackle. And 
as much as we love Joe Staley, his play has dipped off a little bit, right? Like he hasn't been as dominant, um, especially in the passing game. Uh, now you have somebody that's, you know, a tremendous pass protector and, you know, hopefully, you know, gives a, you know, resigns and gives the 49ers a few years. His contract wasn't the issue in, in Washington. And I remember him saying that a few times. It really was more about how they were taking care of the players. And he had an issue with it. He had an issue with how they were handling injuries. And he didn't want to be a part of that anymore. And he, that's why he was forcing his way out. I think a lot of people thought it was about the money. But he was saying, nah, man, it's about this whack medical staff. <laughs> right. And he's not he's not the first person to, to criticize Washington. I mean, they basically earned their own reputation through their decisions over the past, you know, it seems like four or five years they've just kind of just had a, a bunch of little things that have pop, popped up that earned their reputation. So I'm sure I think there's probably a, some people that would say, okay, well, how much of a problem is this guy going to be in the locker room? And I even, and you mentioned Will Blackman, I, I, cause I follow him too. And I even saw him correcting somebody on Twitter where they were saying, yeah, but he's a locker room cancer. And, and he was super quick to reply to that guy and say, listen, he, he's has, I've been on a team for two years with this guy and he's not a locker room cancer at all. And it, it basically just comes down to what Croc was just saying. He was just fed up. But, you know, what? I, unless you guys have, have more to add to that. No, 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 no. Yeah, I think uh, I want to make clear. I, I wasn't saying that either. He He's he's just not Joe Staley for sure. He's not the happy-go-lucky guy. Um, and he definitely can help set the mood of a team in a positive way too. He's truly a tremendous leader. Last thing I'll add, because I covered the Redskins for a bunch of years before this. Uh, Kyle Shanahan obviously drafted Trent Williams. It was a big debate in 2010, him or Russell Okung. Uh, the Redskins had the fourth overall pick. And actually most people thought Russell Okung was going to be the better left tackle. And Kyle Shanahan and Mike picked Trent Williams. And he's truly been arguably the Redskins' best offensive lineman ever. And that's – they have Hall of Fame offensive lineman, Joe Jacoby, the Hogs from the 80s. So it's – you know, they're truly getting a piece that – Kyle Shanahan helped bring into the league, helped make him a good player. And now he has a chance to kind of end the tail end of his career, helping the 49ers get to a Super Bowl. It's a cool story. Super cool story to get this guy back with the Shanahan's. They, they have their players that they like. They love certain guys. Um, you know, getting Kevin Coleman back over. It, it's just funny when Kyle has a player that he likes. T- Taylor Gabriel has been on a couple of his teams. And now Trent Williams is like probably the best player he's ever acquired, to be honest. Right. Richard Sherman, too, you could argue, but really cool to see the regime. This is clearly their philosophy, guys. Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Richard Sherman was more of a free agent, but they they see a high-profile guy that they can get. This front office has been splashy the last couple of years. Yeah, very aggressive. They've been very aggressive. And I know a lot of fans have asked for um, different moves and, hey, do this, do that, do this. Ford was a big one, too. You said, you said who? D. Ford, D. Ford was a big one, too. Right. Right. I, I feel like anytime they have a need um, within the con- – they, they don't want to hurt the team in the process, but anytime they have an opportunity to upgrade and make a move, it seems like for a while, remember, it was, oh, we're doing our due diligence. We're doing our due diligence. And now it's like, now nah, they're actually, like, completing the moves and making this team better. I mean, who would have thought that in an offseason where you lose uh, – you know, you lose Emmanuel Sanders, you lose DeForest Buckner, you lose Joe Staley. Like, who would have thought, like, oh, no, we're actually fine. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, so, no, nah, it's just wild with how, how they've kind of addressed things. And I don't want to make it seem like, 
everything they do is perfect. But I think for the most part, there's a lot of logic be- behind every move that they make. And they have been giving the 49ers the best chance to be competitive now and continue to be uh, competitive for you know years to come. Well, the, the thing I appreciate most about it is just a willingness to take a shot, you know what I mean? Or to take a risk and go for it. Like, you know, so many of the moves they made have had, none of them have been like, you know, scotch clean, you know, like that you're not sure what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to develop into, but they're going to trade a second for him and then they're going to give him a big deal and then they're just going to roll with it. And it's not reckless, but it's, there's definitely risk involved, you know, trading for D Ford. He's had some health issues that they're already experiencing, but you know, as we saw when he's on the field, he changes the dynamic of the defense. So, you know, and then, you know, Trent Williams, it's, it's, there's not, you know, there's risk involved, but they're willing to do it. And it's, it's just so refreshing, especially after, you know, when I, Broke my way into to covering the team. It was during the Trent Balky era. Oh God! And, and it was just started, like please. The, please. the complete opposite. Oh, like he wanted to do nothing. This podcast, you know? the audience who stuck with us for a long time knows I used to rip the old regime. It's so great. <laughs> uh, Rob, walk us through the Brita trade too. Was that you know this one stings, but I don't think he was going to play much next season. Well, and, I, and just to just to keep it rolling, I'll, I'll talk about the next two trades because they kind of a lot of the sentiments towards both players kind of tend to echo each other. Um, the 49ers, and this is all on day three. Joe Staley retired. They traded for Trent Williams. Uh, then they traded uh, running back Matt Breida for a fifth round pick, and then they traded wide receiver Marquise Goodwin for a sixth round pick swap. So not a lot of return there, but you know they'd already tipped their hand in that regard. So. When it comes to, I think that was more about just uh, clearing some cap too. I, you know, just right. getting him off the team. Yeah, I don't know, that was so amazing. The that was awesome. The fact that anyone was willing to take his salary after his inconsistency. I mean, he flashed in 2017, right when Jimmy got here, but then it was just so inconsistent after that. I mean, he had some nice moments with CJ Beathard too, uh, but yeah, no, that was huge. The fact that they got someone to take his salary was a huge win. Right, and it was it was really just. Um, both of the, I mean, when it comes to just a, a status on the roster, both of those trades, the writing was already on the wall. Like when the 49ers made their pro, had their most prolific wins towards the end of last season during their playoff run, where they were beating the brakes off Minnesota and green Bay with the run game, Matt Breida was not involved. And in the, during the few snaps that he was involved, I think he fumbled twice. <laughs> and, and so it, it was just, and, and this is, you know, not to, to, Turn a, turn a blind eye to all the good things he does. I mean, for for like a good portion of last season, uh, in um, 2018, he he seemed like far and away the 49ers' best running back, and he was averaging well over five yards a carry, and was just you know he's a very good running back. He just had managed to work his way onto the wrong side of of Shanahan's graces, and while that was happening, everybody else was excelling. Tevin Coleman was doing fine, and then Raheem Mostert was was blowing the doors off the backfield. So. You know, it just kind of everything came together to where a a really good running back like Brita became expendable. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. And the writing was kind of on the wall. When you when you really have no role in the 49ers Super Bowl performance, then, I mean, that's all you really need to see. And not to mention the fact that the 49ers just have a crowded backfield and you have to be able to create value and take advantage of value while it's there. 
you know, otherwise it's, there's just no point. And so now the 49ers can, and I know a lot of the fans were frustrated a lot of the times because there was never kind of like a clear guy. And when Raheem Mostert started to emerge as the guy, every time he wasn't getting the ball, everybody was angry. So, you know, and the 49, in addition to that, the 49ers also want to start giving Jarek McKinnon a role. So anyways, I, I can't just talk about this all myself. What yeah, do you guys no, think no, no. about yeah. how the backfield's rolling? Uh, I'm coming in here because I, I love Raheem Mostert too, but it won't shock me if if someone else is the leading rusher this year too. Kyle will play the hot hand. He has clearly told us that. I believe in Raheem Mostert too. I, I just believe in the revolving door theory of running backs that Kyle can produce just like his father did. Think of all those years, Olandis, Gary, Mike Anderson. It, it feels like we're in, we're about to enter that era with Kyle. So it's exciting to see who could be next. I love Matt Breida. One of the first biggest scoops I broke, to, it got picked up by pro football talk was that Matt Breida looked like the best rookie on the field during minicamp. Um, when he was there, that he was better than than Joe uh, Joe Williams. Remember that the fourth round pick, and so Breida oh, right. had a nice nice little um, uh, you know he had a r- nice run here. I'm gonna root for him in Miami. It stinks that he had the fumbling problem because if he didn't, it would have probably been him instead of Raheem Mostert. Um, and that's just how it goes. You can lose your chance at running back that quickly. Um, but I I have never believed more in Kyle in the run game than I do after what happened last season. So I think they'll be fine no matter what. Yeah, I, I think they'll be fine. I think the thing for me that's been, I don't want to say frustrating, as much production as they've gotten out of like a revolving backfield, I still feel like they don't have that guy, right? And there's a saying like with quarterbacks, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. And I feel like it's very similar with the running backs, right? It, like They go with a hot hand, but they have to go with the high hand and there's some inconsistencies because they don't have that guy, you know? And I guess, you know, if you're leading the league and rushing, you're still fine, um, which they did a great job of. But it's like, man, who's that finisher? Who's that guy that no matter what, we're, we're just going to give him the ball. Who's that guy that's going to get more leak yardage? We do have guys that can, you know, they run stretch right and they can hit it and they can score. But who's that guy? Like, oh man, there's nowhere to go. And somehow, you know, he squeezes through, kind of like Frank Gore used to do, right? Frank Gore wasn't a burner, but he always found those yards that weren't there. And I don't think we have that guy. So that's the only thing I, you know, kind of worry about a little bit. Even Mostert, he runs a little high. Um, they do have Coleman who slams in there, but he's really hit and miss with his consistency as a runner. So I I, I like the backfield, extremely explosive. Obviously, we can win with them. We can go to the Super Bowl with them. I just ideally would like to see, like, man, who's the closer? Who's the one guy you can always count on and maybe it's most we'll see i think he'll get a little bit more love this year right you know i that's pretty much all there is to it it's just a it's just the frustrating part is it's, you're always trying to predict you know it, why something like wide receiver uh, you know the, like that's a little bit easier to predict all the death charts are a little easier to predict than running back and that's kind of just i think that's the way kyle shanahan likes it you know he doesn't necessarily care who's back there is i think that's why a lot of his running backs have similar traits the real thing I'm looking forward to seeing is what, what Jarek McKinnon can do if, if he's healthy and if Kyle Shanahan finally gets a chance to, to do what he wants with him. But before we get into uh, before we get into the draft class, um, which we're still going to break down, let's get a uh, let's get a quick word from our sponsors, uh, Bet Online, because uh, everybody out there, you know, there's no NBA. Everybody's fully aware by now what the situation is. There's no NHL. There's no MLB. So with that, you just it would be common sense to think that there's nothing to bet on, right? Well, incorrect. Our, our exclusive partner, Bet Online, they still have hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. There's an online casino with poker, blackjack. They can bring Vegas to you. 
Are you missing the NFL? Because right now you probably are, given you know how long it's going to be before stuff starts to pick up. That's not a problem either. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. You can bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. And it's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. So go to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE so they know that you came from here. Join today, and you're going to receive a new welcome bonus. Again, that's BetOnline. And they're your online wagering solution. Yeah, no, thank you to our listeners for supporting this because they're sticking with us through the virus. There's a lot of advertisers who've obviously slashed their marketing budgets and bet online is sticking with Blue Wire. We've really been funneling them some great business. So continue, sign up, give it a shot. It's actually kind of fun to bet on some of the ping pong, even if it's like 25 bucks and something to do during the day. Um, yeah, appreciate betonline.ag. So, and before we get into draft class, I guess one we didn't talk about very much was Marquise Goodwin. And that, to me, was was kind of similar to Brita in the fact that the writing was just on the wall. There were a couple games late in the season where Marquise Goodwin was a healthy scratch. He was just inactive, which is kind of crazy to think about. I mean, everything changes. And Marquise Goodwin has battled through a lot of stuff in his personal life, um, yeah. him and his wife have. And, and that's just the reality of, of being a human. Um, it just, it was crazy to me to see how good he was in, uh, 2018 when Pierre Garcon missed most of the season and kind of him just take over that role. And there was a time where I was watching him in training camp going, dude, if, if things all go his way, which obviously they didn't, I felt like the 49ers could have kind of stumbled upon like a genuine number one wide receiver because the numbers he was putting up and the plays he was making on that 900 yard season were just super impressive. And then I was watching him in training camp, just routing people up. And and he was just, you know, he's a 4-2, 4-3 guy that all of a sudden had great hands and great routes, or at least it looks like his routes got better. So I was genuinely anticipating what he was going to become. And, you know, there were some injuries there. And like I said, he battled with some stuff off the field. And it just didn't work out. And then his, his value ended up becoming, you know, a sixth-round pick swap, which – is, I mean, for lack Life of a better term, value essentially bad. nothing. Yeah, right. it's so crazy. This dude had number one wide receiver potential in Kyle's offense that at least he showed with Jimmy G to end uh, 2017, came into 2018, still had a good season there too. And then, yeah, um, you know, the, the drops was – he had a couple key drops I, I remember throughout his time here. And he, you know, he was he's always been kind of like that project, like, could he become something? He definitely made some big plays here, but there's there's more talented receivers. Um, you know, matter of factly, it hurts to say because he was a good force in the locker room too. And um, I think the 49ers realized, hey, we can save. What they save like three and a half, four million on this deal, which was, hey, the Eagles see something in him. Maybe he can revitalize his career there. But yeah, he just he ran out of chances here. Right. And I said 2018, I meant 2000, you said 2017, I meant 2017. That's when he had his, his 900 and something yard season and he averaged a ridiculous amount of yards per catch. And, and he was just, you know, he looked, looked like he could be really good. But yeah, his, uh, Marquise's cap number this year was 4.2 million. And then next year it was 7 million. So the fact that like, like we were saying earlier, the fact that they were able to, to get that contract off their books is is a win in and of itself. And yeah, they might not have gotten much from it, but you know, yeah, that's, that's how it works sometimes. But um, 
All right, so draft class. What everybody's probably, I mean, I guess wanting to hear about, but <laughs> it was, uh, to me, my first thoughts, and, and, I, and I would everybody will give their thoughts, I guess you could say, but my, my first thoughts, and I'll be quick about it, was sometimes there's not a lot of mystery to the way things pan out. You know, everybody always is, with some picks is trying to like work out the method to the madness. What are they thinking? What are, you know, what's Kyle Shanahan doing here? What, why would he take this person here? And if you, to me, you just look at the draft class and you're like, okay, this team with a really, really good roster wanted to replace the people they lost with cheaper people, you know? And yeah. so they drafted Javon Kinlaw with the 14th overall pick who's replacing DeForest Buckner will probably step right in and play the exact same role. Then you have Brandon Ayuk, actually a similar build to Emmanuel Sanders, probably going to step in and play the exact same role. Then you have um, Charlie Warner. I think that's how you say his last name or Warner Warner. Um, he'll step in and he's going to fill that blocking tight end role that was left by like Garrett Selleck, Levine Toilolo. Um, and it's just then obviously they traded for Trent Williams and he's replacing Joe Staley. So that's what it is for me. Like there's no secret sauce to it. They just replace the people they lost with people that were more cap friendly. And obviously the draft picks have to work out, but those are my thoughts. Yeah. Um, and it, it's pretty clear that like the core pieces are in place. Jimmy Garoppolo in place, Nick Bosa in place, Fred Warner, I'm calling foundational piece in place. You know, just the running schemes are in place. And then like every year you're going to have to replace a left tackle or a receiver. And that's how it goes. Like you're betting on Jimmy Garoppolo being your franchise quarterback and Nick Bosa being, you know, this home run piece. And you kind of just fill in the gaps and 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 hope to build from there. Like the the big question next offseason will be re-signing George Kittle. But you know, they're they got better. They got better. And as you said, Rob, Sean McVay is not happy they got Trent Williams. <laughs> you know, he said he had to have a couple extra beers. The whole NFL is not happy the 49ers got Trent Williams. I think in this three-day stretch, they have a potential really good wide receiver. Their D-line is going to be just as effective. I, I don't see a true weakness on the team. You can't really say secondary. You can say they got beat deep by Mahomes late. But I mean, last year for most of the year, they were dominant. So I, yeah, I, I don't see a weakness. I, if I had to predict a record right now, you know, I still think 10 and six, 11 and five is super realistic for this team. Um, I, I don't know about the late round picks. Croc is, is, is the receiver from Tennessee going to be someone um, you're, you have your eye on the receivers, but I mean, overall for me, like, I, I think this is going to be a solid class. I don't know if there's a superstar potential for anyone late. I don't think anyone saw that with Kittle, but you know, curious Croc, what you're thinking. Yeah. I mean, I think overall at the end of the day, man, they, they got guys, you know, Kinlaw, like you said, step in day one. Uh, you know, you got Ayuk, really explosive player, really freaky upside, really freaky upside. You know, I always talk about, um, Debo Samuel and his talent, and that's one of my favorite players. And I was really high on him coming out. I think Ayuk even has a more explosive type game. And you know, I'm listening to TJ Hushmanzada on KNBR, and he's talking about the work ethic of this kid. Really, I, I reached out to a few people. I mean, I listened to a few people, and I reached out to one of my buddies that's at Arizona State, and nobody has anything bad to say about this guy. Everything, everything is just super hard worker. Um, great kid, you guys got a beast, just give him the ball. <laughs> you know, like that's all it is. And uh, with his ability and it sounds like the work ethic that he has, like sky's the limits for this guy. Man. And the way that he he's able to run away from guys, very unique, 
very special. So I'm really high on him. I think for not just him, but the other rookies as well, the, the only downfall this year, there's no OTAs. So I'm interested to see how all these guys prepare for training camp, um, especially in this offense, and how uh, quickly they're, they are able to kind of grasp what the 49ers want to do. Because, you know, especially a guy like, like Ayuk, like, Ayuk, we need you now. <laughs> you know, um, Kendrick Bourne can probably hold off for a few weeks, but we're going to need that explosive guy to really kind of be yeah. that, you know, what, uh, you know, okay, we got Debo Samuel. We're going to need that other guy. We're going to need it just like we needed Emmanuel Sanders. And so Bourne could probably hold off for a few weeks. After that, Ayuk is going to have to start stepping up and not having OTAs, um, not having the summer to kind of process things. And really they're going to have to jump in almost like a, a you guys remember, was it 2011? Where yeah, it was a, lockout, it was a lockout year, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's probably going to be a lot like that where they're going to jump straight into training camp, man, and I, and I hope these dudes are ready. But if I do have faith that anybody's going to be ready, from everything I hear, is is going to be IU, just yeah. from how he prepares and the type of competitor that he is and the want to get better. Now, um, as far as Juwan Jennings, he's a guy I watched, big body guy, looks like he bullies guys for the ball. He's not really my type of receiver. Um, he actually has traits of what Kyle likes as far as, like, you know, the bully, being the dog. But, you know, Kyle has really been more of, you know, wanting separators and things like that. He's not really that guy. He's really a big slot that runs the spots, and you kind of just have to trust that he's going to take the ball away from the DB. And he is a big body, and we'll see how that works. But, you know, in the NFL, you're not going to get a lot of these free releases. Um, the linebackers are all freaky athletics. I mean, athletes. So I, I think he might have a tougher time in the NFL, but, you know, that's something that's intriguing. Because he's not like uh, – I know a lot of people want to compare him to Jalen Hurd. Jalen Hurd's a really good fluid mover. And he runs good routes, and he was able to do a lot of that and has a size, you know, and he's 6'5". Uh, Jennings is, isn't that type of guy. Um, but I, 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 he might be insurance for Hurd. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see how that whole thing plays out there. One of the things that kind of popped up in my mind uh, earlier today when I was just kind of looking at him plays, and I saw in one of Kyle Manson of Candlestick Chronicles made a comment about how every one of Juwan Jennings' reps turned into like a Rocky movie with like him battling somebody, whether it's it's when he's getting the ball or when he's not getting the ball. And I got to wonder if, if maybe he wouldn't be that, given his size, he wouldn't be that bad of an option if you considered him more of like a move tight end. Because when I clicked on... Kyle's tweet and it was a bunch of it got a bunch of burn from like Tennessee people talking about how crazy he is as a blocker and I haven't watched him enough to get into that side of his of his tape yet I mean I've just watched the plays where the ball went his way but I I, I have to wonder if maybe he's he's somebody that they would consider for that type of role now you know just given he's six three he's a pretty big dude He's a bully. He likes messing with people. Um, I've, I've read a lot of people say that he's a really, really good blocker. And I, like I said, I'd still have to see it. But, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibilities that they use him as everybody expected them to, to target kind of like a move tight end in this draft, somebody to compliment Kittle. And they did get Charlie Warner, but he's considered one, he was considered one of the best blocking tight ends in the entire class. Now, not to say he's not capable of making an impact in the passing game, because that's kind of the way it went down with Kittle. He had done nothing in the passing game and was considered an amazing blocker. And I, I'm not putting that on him. It's, it's it's not I'm not comparing anybody to Kittle in that way. But you know, just something to think about. You know, maybe they totally. could use him in in, in, a, in a different way. Yeah, I think 
someone had a great tweet too about Kyle loving positionless football. Remember how much Debo was getting end around reverses in the playoffs and even in the Super Bowl? Like I, I could see Ayuk taking a lot of end arounds. I could see Ayuk getting involved in the run game, similar as Jennings could get involved as a tight end. Um, I, I could see Tid- uh, excuse me, uh, Kittle in the slot a lot more. So I think Kyle and positionless football is is becoming more true as he finally really builds out this roster over four or five, six years. We're going to get more guys in here who can line up at multiple spots. And Kyle, as he gets deeper and more innovative, as he wants to become the Bill Walsh of his era and he invents concepts, I think the word positionless is going to become a buzzword for this 49ers offense. Well, the thing I like, too, about Brandon Ayuk, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Crocker, or at least add your own interpretation of it. But what I like about him is the fact that he has he's not obviously not the same player, um, but he has a lot of the same traits as Debo Samuel has as far as their ability once they have the ball in their hands and their, you know, the way they move away from people in space, break tackles, pick up yards after the catch. The, the big thing that I see is if if him and Debo Samuel are lined up on the opposite side of the formation, Kyle Shanahan loves to use motions. And let's say you have Debo Samuel on one side and Kendrick Bourne on the other side. Well, if Kendrick Bourne goes in motion, the defense is probably not going to respect it all that much because he's not really that type of guy. They're not really all that worried about him once he gets the ball in the hands, ball in his hands. He's not a big yards after the catch guy. But now that they have Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk on either side, every time Shanahan motions either of those guys, you know, assuming that Ayuk picks up steam and starts to work out and, and earn his role. Anytime Shanahan motions either of those guys, the defense is going to have to respect it. And they, you know, and, and they're going to be coming off of tape, seeing the way Kyle Shanahan was using Debo Samuel towards the end of the season, like you mentioned, Kevin. And it'll, it's just interesting to me to think that you're going to have to, as long as everything goes the way they planned, the reason they made the pick, then it's going to be interesting to see how defenses respect all the motions that Kyle Shanahan's going to continue to use the fact that both of the receivers on either side are are dangerous to break something loose like that on just these little end arounds. So, you know, what do you, Crocker, what do you see Ayuk? Like you've talked about kind of like that he has a lot of upside. Like what do you see him kind of, you know, your, your, your ceilings and your floors type of deal? Yeah, I just think just he's another guy where you just kind of want to give him the ball. Kyle obviously likes these quick separators, but he's a guy, man, he's, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but when I was just watching him and just seeing like what he kind of reminds me of, and it really looks a lot like I don't even want to say this out loud, but like, say it. like Odell Beckham, like you know, like when he's taking <laughs> his chance and how he runs away from people, like it's explosive in that matter, man. Like, and that's that's uh it is it's really kind of a special thing. Like you don't see a lot of people that are built like that. And run like that, right? Like you see the rugs, and rugs is a speed guy, right? Not saying he can't do anything else, but I'm saying like that's his primary, the primary thing, right? He's a little bit smaller, you know, 5'11, 188 pounds. Uh, and he has to be able to win with speed. But you see a guy like Ayuk, who not only ha- is able to win with speed, but he also brings that real like good uh physicality to his game. He's his lower body is extremely strong. So, you know, it's kind of like Odell Beckham, right? Odell Beckham, 5'11", 200 pounds. And this dude, six foot, 205, man. And the way he runs away from guys, I think what separates him from Debo is his ability to, to actually, like, win vertically. Like, Debo can run, but I don't think you're really throwing go routes at Debo like that. Ayuk, you're going to throw it out there. You're going to give him opportunities. 
to, you know, even stretch the field in that way. So um, he, he brings a lot to the table. And I think he's a guy where, you know, he starts off as like my, you know, this, this whole process of my wide receiver six or five. He started off at my wide receiver five. So I really liked him. Um, and he got bumped down a little bit, had the core muscle injury and stuff like that. And, okay, gets bumped down to about wide receiver eight. But when you – what people have to factor in where these guys go and how does that change kind of their trajectory of their careers. And I think IU went to the most perfect spot mm-hmm. for him. Like, now, now, now say if IU would have went to, like, I don't know, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Maybe I'm not as high on him, right? But when you put him in Kyle Shanahan's offense and the way that everybody is saying, hey, this is how you need to play him and use him and he can do this and that, and that's what the 49ers do, ah, it's trouble. Now he bumps up from a guy that went into the draft as more of a wide receiver, you know, five, six, seven, eight, and he comes out of it as more of a wide receiver one, two, or three in his class because of the position that he got drafted into. And I think that was what uh, uh, Steve Smith was talking about, right? He talked about um, uh, Judy. He talked about, uh, uh, you know, Ruggs and uh, uh, Lamb and those guys, right? But then he was like, man, the guy that I'm really interested to see, he was like, Brandon Ayuk, because of what he's able to do with the ball in his hands and how explosive he is. And he mentioned it. You know, some of these guys that get drafted early and they get drafted into kind of poor situations, Lamb didn't. But when you look at the situation that uh, Ayuk got drafted to, I mean, it's the most perfect thing for him. And he's set up for success. So I'm just really excited. I try not, I try to hold my like excitement in a little bit because I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that, that homer or anything like that. But when you watch him and you see how explosive an athlete is and how he wins and just kind of the trajectory that he's on and how he fits with the 49ers, it's like you can't help but be really excited. Him in the screen game is going to be lethal. I can tell you that, that you're going to be able to circle that one early in the season. Ayuk, 80-yard screen pass touchdown. Um, Yeah, I think the 49ers kind of told us that they'd rather have a rookie defensive lineman than a rookie left tackle because they probably could have taken left tackle there, obviously with Wirfs, or they they could have stayed at 31 and taken a tackle, but they – they revealed a little bit of a strategy, which I agree with. It's that I don't want a rookie left tackle, to be honest with Jimmy G. I'd rather plug a rookie and count on him on the D-line. I think that's a good football strategy. You know, It's a case-by-case basis, but I, you know, overall, that's basically what they told us with how their, their board stacked up. If every, every you know, if let's say Wirfs and, and Kinlaw had the same grade for them, it they went with they went with Kinlaw because it would, it made sense. It made sense for their football team to not put the pressure on a rookie left tackle and maneuver to get Trent Williams. So they're walking out of this draft class with D Ford and Trent Williams with draft picks used in trades. So it's, this team is reloading to try and get back to the Super Bowl. Most teams that lose the Super Bowl do not go back the next year. So they're going to have an up, they're going to have a tough, tough challenge. I think the saints are going to be tough this year, obviously, their division is so tough. The Cardinals might be the most improved football team in the NFC. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm leaving this draft, fellas, feeling like the 49ers are better. They're, they are better. After losing to Forrest Buckner, I still feel super confident in this defense. And they've, they're going to weather the storm and improve potentially by losing Joe Staley. Yeah, it's uh, it's been impressive to watch. I mean, I've, for a guy like John Lynch, who when the 49ers initially announced that he was hired – 
you know, obviously completely lacking experience other than what he'd gotten as a broadcaster and just spending time around organizations. And I know he spent some extended time uh, with the Broncos and his friend, John Elway, but for a guy and even Kyle Shanahan, who's an inexperienced who had never been a head coach and hadn't had a whole lot of front office experience, office experience. Both of them were first timers at their job. The, what they've been able to do in three years and what they just did over the draft. And I'm not saying you have to agree with every player they took, but the amount of, personnel changes and adapting to circumstances and you know the fact that they built a Super Bowl contender in three years and like it's hard not to be impressed you know like these guys have just not even that you go beyond that you go beyond the front office and you go into the locker room to see the type of culture they built and the guys they brought in and I mean it's nuts what they've been able to do. And I'm not saying that John Lynch is among the top GMs in the league. I, I'm, I'm not qualified to say anything like that, but it's just from what I've seen, he's, getting you know, closer. I, I, he's definitely getting he, closer. He's, he's earning praise, you know, and, and I guess a big way you can say of it, it's kind of like how you evaluate an offensive lineman. Like John Lynch is not making a fool of himself, you know, and, and he has missed picks. His first two first round picks were huge swings and misses. But the fact that he has stayed aggressive and he's stayed proactive and he's stayed the course of what him and Kyle Shannon wanted to achieve has just been it's been impressive to watch. And, you know, it's it, to see it all pan out the way they wanted it to. Like if you would have asked them, of course, they're infinitely confident. You have to be to have that role. But if you would have somehow got them to say what's really on their mind in 2017, like, hey, in 2019, do you think you're going to be playing for a Super Bowl? their answer would not have been emphatically. Yes. You know, like it's just the the reality of how much work they had to do with a completely downtrodden roster. And, but they did it. And remember how bad they were in 2018, even though Jimmy G was hurt, but like they went four and 12, like they were right. They sucked. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just, it's nuts. And one of the things I've consistently praised them for, and this probably falls more on Kyle Shanahan than John Lynch is you had to, I, don't, I wouldn't call them embarrassing, but two clearly losing seasons. It wasn't even close. You know, they were picking at the top of the draft both times. And they messed, the, and think about this, Rob. They messed up 2017, Reuben Foster and Solomon Thomas. Like, think about, like, they still made the Super Bowl a couple years later after, like, botching their first draft class outside yeah. of George Kittle. They still were able to recover from that. Right. Yeah. And it's and – the and it never at one point – and this is more of a cultural thing – during all of that losing, did you ever see the team breaking at the seams or turning no. on each other? And that is a very common thing in teams that go through those types of losses. You just end up seeing a clip of, of people fighting on the sideline, arguing, you know, whose mistake was it? You never once saw that, period. Like, Well, I think, that was, I think they set the tone for that early on, though. I think that's one of the messages that kind of, um, I think as fans kind of forgot. But remember, these guys cut Navarro Bowman. And it was because he wasn't getting on board with what they were trying to do. So it was like, all right, you got to go. The reason they cut him, too. That was, right. that was ruthless. Richard Robinson, you know, hey. That was Game you're of Thrones You know, you're not, doing, you're not on board with what we're doing here. Richard Robinson, you can go. Traded him for a fifth-round pick. So I think that also sets the tone, too, on, you know, hey, at the end of the day, man, we're going to do this our way, and we're going to do it how we want to do it. And if you're not on board with it, you you can kick rocks. Kyle has and, a lot, and he. I think that's a great point, Croc. That he does it his way, and people are on board to do it Kyle's way. And like that's what changes the building. Jed's on board to do it Kyle's way. 
John Lynch, everyone kind of adapts and, you know, Kyle is driving this ship. A lot of people are supporting it, but this, this is Kyle's way of football. This is the, the whole thing, the whole puzzle of it. And not going to lie, it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable as a commentator of this team. It's enjoyable as fans of the team. It's enjoyable, I'm sure, for the players and I know for the staff there, just how it was beforehand. So, I do have one um, critique of them. Please. And, I, and, and Kevin, you know, with me listening to you the last few years, I'm pretty sure you agree too. And even more this year, I kind of was like, ah, I don't like the way they did not address anything with the secondary. Yeah. Now, I... I understand it. Okay, you have everybody coming back. Great. And I get it on not drafting somebody high because, you know what, we really have our starting corners. And, you know, worst case scenario, okay, Keller Willispoon has to come off the bench and somebody gets hurt. We can do it with that for a few games or whatnot. But my thing is moving forward, you don't have any real plan in place. And I thought when they traded for that fifth, they had an opportunity to grab somebody like Bryce Hall who, hey, maybe Bryce Hall is not a high upside guy, but I think he put, uh, potentially one day can be a starter. I was, that's somebody I was really high on. So you, you had the opportunity to grab somebody like that and you take the tackle and I get it. But I ah, man, you kind of have a, a riches of, of tackles right now when when you have, you know, Sean Coleman coming back from injury. You have uh, 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 Brunskill who could play left tackle. You just traded for... Um, you know, uh, 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 Williams, Trent Williams. So it's like, you you don't really, I mean, you have, okay, think about it like this. If somebody really goes down that cornerback, who's coming in? Okay, Witherspoon, after that, you got Verrett, you have Dante Johnson. Like, that's scary. Very right? scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, what they told me with not drafting corner, in my opinion, is that they love Mosley. Like, they, they love him so much. If they drafted corner, to me, it was like they still want to add competition over there. But to me, it's so clear. It's it's Mosley. Mosley has a chance to become a number one after Sherman leaves if he yeah. if he if he progresses like this. And then, you know, hopefully you'd have with – like, if, if Sherman gets hurt, I think it would be the biggest injury to this team, to be honest. Because I think then Witherspoon would start to get picked on a little bit. However – Listen, he's had his flashes. He's he's battled a lot. Clearly, Mosley outplayed him in the playoffs, and they had to they had to send him to the bench. So, I mean, you know, I don't want it to be musical chairs over there. And crack you right. know better than anyone. That's just not good for for any player's confidence to have musical chairs. So, I think they're going to have to ride things out with Mosley. But yeah, I agree. I, I criticize the secondary. That damn D line made them look a lot better, but they were better than I thought too. And right. they have Ward coming back. Right, Jimmy. But that's not that, my right? issue. That that's not my issue. My issue is not even so much this year. It's next year. If you don't bring back Witherspoon or Sherman, who are your corners? So at least have somebody where you that you drafted late fifth round. Somebody that you know what? I like this kid. He's a good kid. We know he can play. Let's see what you know. Okay, he doesn't have to play right now. He can be the fourth corner. That's fine. But next year, if Witherspoon and Sherman both leave, you got Mosley and who? And so that's my like, yeah, okay, I'm probably going to draft somebody. Yeah, the depth there is good. They have a couple undrafted guys you always hope for, but yeah, I agree. Secondary, and I don't even like the undrafted guys like they're, that. They're, I don't like thin. that. They're very thin. Yeah, I, I Tim Harris is that his name? Tim Harris, the, the corner from yep. Virginia last year. I saw him in in training camp. I didn't care for what I saw. You draft AC. I've watched a couple of games. He's getting picked on. So it's like, I I <laughs> I get it. 
but that's that's kind of what's hyping their own secondary because I mean they're they're yeah. banking on Sherman staying healthy, which is I mean it you can bank on it, but it's if if he goes down, this I think the you this defense will get exposed a little bit. If he's out for four to six games, I I think that'll be the biggest test ever for this defense. Well, the, the thing I told you, Crocker, when we were talking before the draft was, is if there was something I was going to bet on, I w- was sure that the 49ers with one of their first two picks, or, you know, if they if they did a trade down where they got like some second rounders or what third rounders, I thought for sure one of those was going to be a corner. And I told you that, and I said it on the pod, like I thought for sure one of those guys, one of these picks has got to be a corner just because they're sitting on a precarious slope with the fact that, you know, Richard Sherman's still playing at a high level, but he's a little older and he could get hurt at any point. And you also have, like you guys have said, Emmanuel Mosley opposite him, who's an undrafted free agent who they're kind of still feeling their way through. And, you know, if, if something changes, they don't have the depth to deal with it. And they, you know, obviously they don't really necessarily want a Kella Willerspoon out there. Um, so I thought for sure one of their early round picks was going to go towards the secondary and maybe the board didn't fall their way, but at the same time, it, they, they didn't even use one pick on a corner in the entire draft. You know, they sure they got an undrafted free agent, but that's an undrafted free agent. So it, to me, it seems like they're kind of backing themselves into the corner, which teams do this all the time, but they're backing themselves into the corner of we're going to pick a corner in next year's draft in the first round, you know, or, or maybe in the second round or, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost to the point where unless they make another splashy free agent move or a trade, then that's what they're going to do next year because they have to, you know, unless, you know, I don't, I don't see Richard Sherman sticking around longer. And it, even if he did, that wouldn't necessarily be what you, what you placed all your bets. Yeah. On, so. it, it's a need. It's going to be a need. Um, and I, I believe in Mosley too, but you can't have enough good corners and it feels like, yeah, if, if you're going to put a microscope under this team, secondary is where they, you know, going into next off season are going to need to beef up. Yeah. Good shit. Fellas. This anybody, got, anybody else got anything? No, we got to save some material left for the rest of the quarantine, to be honest, because <laughs> this is going to be, it's going to be tough with no OTAs and mini camp just, just for the rookies. And then, you know, now the NFL is going to slow down. So we are going to look at some historical look backs for the listeners on some other things. Niners, you will, continue to get good content here but we totally understand hey the nfl news is about to stop for the next couple months it is it is but we'll find something to talk about it's what we do 100 is what we do um but anyways i think i think that's about it everybody i think that about racks it up we're, we're approaching an hour which is at least for me and crocker that's par par for the course unfortunately no matter how many times you've tried you've told me to keep it Oh yeah, less, no, Kevin, we're always the longest podcast I've ever been a part of. But I, I, <laughs> I feel like I could keep going. This is a good one. A lot of a lot of stuff right. came out of that draft. The 49ers passion, man. Changed. It's just passion. The 49ers came out changed, but improved. The 49ers right. improved their position within the league. Um, I, I'm not going to lie, Croc. I'm scared of the Cardinals next year. I'm not. I'm not scared of anybody, man. Niners got bullies, uh-huh. man. That's why you beef up that D line, man. You get that big 6'5", 230, I mean three hundred thirty five pound dude on that D line to go with Bosa and Armstead. And, <laughs> and before, well, I'm not scared of anybody, man. We got some. Forty Niners got some bullies up front. Can and, can wear number ninety nine right away. Wow. Number ninety nine right away, man. The Forty wow. Niners they built their identity on the interior, and I don't think they got weaker. I think they've gotten stronger. So. Um, you know, I'm talking about on offense as well. So, yeah, man, I, bullies, man, bullies. All we need now is, hey, Jimmy G, take that next step. And the 49ers are really good. 
All right. Well, that's it for us, guys. I appreciate everybody that's here listening. Um, it's just, you know, like you guys have heard me say it a million times, uh, we couldn't do this without our listeners. Uh, make sure you hit up betonline.ag and use your promo code BLUEWIRE uh, to show some support for Striking Gold. Um, but as always, it's all about you guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, and that's it for everybody. This is another episode of Striking Gold, and we are signing out. Peace. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.